you repeat after me, today I will believe and confess that Jesus Christ was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my, iniqu- my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And by Jesus' stripes, I am healed. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Once again, Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be found here in the house of the Lord. For those that are listening, God, we thank you for them as well. Father, I pray that the words that I speak are seasoned with your love and your grace. And Heavenly Father, that each heart may be pricked so that this body, Heavenly Father, will grow, will be strengthened, Heavenly Father, and we will know to seek you, Lord, in all things and know that you are God. Father, we know that the aroma that we give off, Heavenly Father, is pleasing if we are of you. And Father, we pray that those that are lost that are in the world, Heavenly Father, will smell that and follow and want to follow after you as well. Father, we thank you for everyone. We thank you for this time, and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, we'll go ahead and see if we can get into the word here. So the central theme of the Bible is God himself. God as creator and as sovereign Lord of the universe. His majesty, redemption for humanity in full display is through Jesus Christ. The virgin birth, Jesus' sinless life, his undeniable miracles, such as the ones that we talked about last week, where we saw Lazarus was dead for four days and God brought him back. We mentioned that, you know, in many cases, there were people that died and the rabbis said that if someone died and it was only a couple days, that there was this life force that was over them that could possibly bring them back. But in this miracle that Jesus performed, Lazarus was dead for four days. He actually waited a couple days, and it was a four-day period that Lazarus was entombed. We also know that Jesus died an excruciating, embarrassing offering of his life on the cross for our salvation. Jesus is then resurrected and is seen on earth by over 500 witnesses and his disciples. He then ascends into heaven and is seated now on the right hand of God, is our intercessor, and is preparing a place for us in heaven until God appoints him to return to earth. The Bible speaks to those things. That's the central theme. The central theme of the Bible is God himself. And he also has this redemptive quality about him. We see a picture of God creating the earth in Genesis chapter 1. You read that chapter, you'll see where the Bible talks about how God made the earth from one day to the next. We won't go through all of that. Then, in Genesis chapter 2, we see where God creates man. He creates Adam and he creates Eve in Genesis chapter 2. I think most of us, if we are have been walking for a while, are fairly familiar with that. Then, things kind of go south in Genesis chapter 3. The the fall of man is then revealed, and it's not a good thing. So we see 
In Genesis chapter 3, the issue of sin, where Eve was deceived by the serpent, and she and Adam ate of the fruit. And now, it requires a 911 call from God in order to get us back in the place that we need to be in. So, I, don't, I, I pray that no one has ever gone through having a fire in their house, but if there is a fire in your house, you tend to do a couple things. One, you try to gather all your family and get them out of the house, right? It's one of the things that we do. The other thing that we do is we will, again, after we make sure everybody's okay, we make a phone call to the fire department, right? So we're going to call the fire department because we don't want the whole house to burn up. We might even try to put the fire out. In an emergency, those are things that we do. If there's a burglar in your house, you try to gather everybody again if they're separated out. You may go to a, a safe place or a holding spot, and then you're going to make a call to who? Police. Wrong. I'm calling EMS because I'm coming up with something <laughs> if a burglar is in my house. I'm not calling, you know, we'll call the police afterwards or maybe during that time, maybe hand the phone to somebody. But yeah, we'll call the police too, but we're probably going to be calling EMS because my goal is to make sure that I keep the house safe, that I keep us protected. And if I go down, I go down. That's, that's my position as husband and defender of my home. But in the same way, we see, as our title says, the title is God, our rescuer. And in many instances, God, in the same way, he has rescued us. And even before Jesus lays foot on the earth, the Old Testament is filled with examples of God's answers to emergencies and examples of redemption for his people before Jesus appeared, as I mentioned earlier. Before he came in physical form, there were many things that Jesus, that God did to show us his redemptive qualities, the fact that God is our rescuer. Remember Adam and Isaac? Remember Adam and Isaac in the, in the word of God. Adam brings Isaac up the hill. Uh, God tells him to go up there because he, he needs a sacrifice. So Adam is obedient to God, brings Isaac up the hill, puts him on the altar. Isaac asks him, okay, where's the sacrifice? And Adam's looking at him like, uh, you're that sacrifice. So again, I don't know if I had, would, I, I don't think I would have. I don't think I'd even brought my kid up the mountain and laid him on there, just the thought of that. But Abraham's faith was so strong that he brought him to the degree that he took the knife and went up with it. And then what happened? He made a sacrifice. There was a ram in the bush that he was able to put on the altar. We see God showing his redemptive rescuer qualities in Abraham, through Abraham and Isaac in that instance. There are other examples of God as rescuer. We'll talk about one in just a second, but I want to make sure that we are, are very, very careful, however, 
not to water down what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Because many times we'll use examples from the Old Testament, and it can tend to water down what Jesus did. We just mentioned that he suffered, he went through excruciating pain, he hung on the cross, he was embarrassed, he was naked, and all of those things for our salvation. That won't be repeated. Jesus' life, a sinless life, won't be repeated. None of those things will be done again. Our salvation was done once for us. And so we don't want to try to rehash that or make it seem as though the things that were done in the Old Testament supplant what Jesus did. But we do see stories in the Old Testament. I was listening, and I heard a minister talking about uh, the ark as a type of Christ. And he was saying how, you know, the, God told Noah to put pitch on the outside of the ark, and he told him to put pitch on the inside so the water wouldn't come in so that the people that were inside would be saved and, and what the ark was built of, gopher wood, and all of those things. And all of those things are great. And the analogy is probably okay, I guess, but you know, I, I think we have to be very careful of, of making those extrapolations. So what I want to do is engage with you today concerning a known character in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50, we find the true story of Joseph. And if we remember, Joseph was the one with the colorful coat. So in chapter 37, and I'm, I'm not going to read that, I'll talk about the story of Joseph uh, now, and we will have a scripture or so that we'll go through. But in chapter 37, we see Joseph at age 17. He's out tending the flocks. Um, he has 11 siblings, 11 other brothers. Um, well, he has, at that time, I think, 10 other brothers and then Benjamin. And uh, he's the child of Jacob, who is known as Israel. And Jacob, and Joseph, I'm sorry, had some strikes against him. He had some things that were going against him. So first, he was the favorite child of Jacob, Israel, because of Jacob's old age. So he had Joseph when he was older. He was well further up in years. So he was proud, of, of course, as an older man would be when he has a child. And he has a son, which at that time was favored. It was a favorite to have sons. It was a, uh, a sign of, I guess, virility and you know, those were things that took place in that, in that day. So he was already favored. That's, that's strike number one. Second, Jacob, his father, made him a colorful coat, if we remember. I remember being in Sunday school, and Jacob made Joseph the colorful coat. Then things got a little, uh, I think Joseph did some things that kind of got himself a little bit more in hot water. But I kind of understand it. You know, when you have good news about things, you want to share it with people. You want to let people know, you know, that these things are going on. The bad thing was, I don't know if Jacob really knew how much his brothers weren't too crazy about his status in the family. Joseph then has the dreams. Remember, he has the dreams about the sheaves. And he spoke about it. That was a problem. So it's one thing for him to have the dream. It's another thing for him to say something about the dream. And so as he, if, if you read through the text, it tells you that the brothers got more and more upset with each instance. He was already favored. He was the 
the, 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 the love child of, of Jacob, and they weren't liking that too much. And then he had uh, the, the, the colorful coat. They didn't have a colorful coat. Why we don't have colorful coats? So they're more upset. Now he has this dream, and he goes and tells them about the sheaves. He says, basically, you know, there are 12 sheaves out here, and my sheep is standing up, and the other sheaves are obedient to my sheep. They're bowing down to my sheep. And so they're really upset. They start asking questions. Is this guy really going to be over us? Is he really going to? We're really going to bow down to him, to Joseph, that little guy? They're not too happy. They're not excited about that at all. Then he has another dream, and he goes and tells them again. So I don't know if Joseph was naive and didn't see these guys' anger, or if he just didn't care, or he had so much faith in God that God was going to keep him and rescue him out of whatever troubles that he had. But he had a dream. And he dreamed about the 11 stars and the sun and the moon. And they would all bow down, were bowing down basically to him. Hmm. So the star and the moon was his parents. And the 11 stars, hmm. I'm sorry, the sun and the moon were his parents. And the 11 stars were his brothers. And again, they bowing down, Joseph, Joseph. And they're not excited about it. So they're really, really, really hot. Thank God my brothers weren't like that. I don't think they had much to be jealous of with me. But they were, they were ready to take Joseph out. And so I'm sure plenty of you all know the story, but we're going to go through it, and we're going to talk about this so that we see who God is. So Jacob, Jacob's, uh, Joseph's brothers are out tending the flock. So Jacob... Uh, Joseph is home with Jacob, and so Jacob sends Joseph out because he wants him to go out and let his brothers know something. So he goes out, and his brothers are out in Dothan. He finds them, and by this time, again, remember the brothers are angry, so they're upset, and they've concocted a plot to kill him. They're like, man, look, let's just take this dude out. We're not going to have him ruling over us with his cute little colorful coat. We're not having that. But then Reuben, the older, stops them and says, listen, guys, this isn't good for us to shed his blood. Let's not do that. Let's find a pit. Let's throw him down in the pit. There was no water in it, and he's down in the pit. Joseph, with all his dreams and all of his ambition, down in the pit. So the brothers continued to talk, and I guess Reuben must have got in their head and told them, look, guys, shedding blood is not a good idea. Let's do this. Let's get rid of him. But there are some Ishmaelites coming through, some Ishmaelite merchants. Let's just sell him to them, and we can make a few dollars. Just sell him off, man, and they'll take care of him. You know, they'll, they'll get rid of him or do whatever, and we won't have to hear from him anymore. So they concocted this plan. They got Joseph, sold him, and they got his colorful coat. They killed the goat, put the goat's blood all over it, and they sold him off to those Ishmaelite um, merchants. And, um, yeah, so it just wasn't real good for Joseph at that time. So he's going with these guys. He doesn't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going on in Joseph's head. Like, okay, Lord, you told me all these things. 
Either he had super faith or he just was going with the ride. But this is what was going on. And his brothers brought the coat back to Jacob and said that a lion, and a lion or some beast must have torn him apart and killed him. So they couldn't console Jacob. Jacob is forever grieved by the fact that he feels as though he has lost his son, but he doesn't know the whole story. We have to remember, these people that we're talking about here, Jacob, these are God's people. And so God has a plan for them. He has some divine things that he has lined up for them, and he's going to take care of them through the good and the bad. But again, there were some things that had to go on as we continue to, to, to go through this. So the Ishmaelites bring Joseph to Egypt, and they sell him. They sell him into Potiphar's house. So Potiphar was one of the people there that was in charge uh, in Egypt. He was high-ranking. And if you know the story, Joseph came in and did, a, did an awesome job. He took care of Potiphar's house. Now, it's not a house like maybe my house, you know, not a real big house. Potiphar had, when, when we say his house, we're not talking about just a building. We're talking about his building and all of the other things that he's in charge of. And so after, Jake, after Joseph was there, Joseph was so excellent in his ways, Potiphar came and gave Joseph all the responsibility of his house. He took care of everything. But there was one problem. Potiphar had a wife. I guess Joseph was fairly good looking or something, or maybe he just had this power or whatever it was that was going on, or he had this it sitting on top of his head. But whatever that was, Potiphar's wife really liked Joseph, so much so that she started talking to him. Hey, Joseph. Hey, Joseph. Every time she would see him. And so Joseph got to a point where he wasn't trying to speak with Potiphar's wife. He was trying to avoid Potiphar's wife. If she was here, he was going this way. So he was trying to avoid her. But one day, he went in, and in to do his business, as they say, his work. And next thing you know, hey, Joseph. She grabs his clothes, and Joseph runs off, and you know the story. Potiphar's wife tells a fib. She lies on, on Joseph and said, you brought this Hebrew in here, and he's coming here to mock me, and he's going to do all these things to me. And she tells her, her, her husband. And now, I would believe, now, I've never been in this situation before, but just in my mind, that if I had someone that was high-ranking, working, doing an awesome job, was excellent in all of their ways, people know who they're with. You know your wife. You know what they're capable of after time. I, I don't, it doesn't say how long they were together, but I'm sure that Potiphar was pretty upset because he's like, okay, now I got to take this back over. I got to find somebody to handle all this business that Joseph, the Hebrew, was taken care of. So that goes down, and then what happens next? So Joseph comes out of the pit. His brothers want to kill him. He moves up to top person in Potiphar's house. Now he's going to prison on something that he didn't do. He was innocent. Joseph didn't do anything, but now he's going to prison. So me, I would be upset. I don't know about you guys. Maybe y'all's faith is... So great that you're just like, hey, God, I know you're going to take care. I'm like, man, I'm going to prison in a foreign land of things going on that I don't even believe in. I'm there now. 
So he's there for a while. But then the warden, the guy that's over the prison, sees again, man, this Jacob guy is excellent. He's pretty sharp. Everything he does, his hand prospers, God prospers him. And then next thing you know, he's over the prison. He's taking care of everything. So again, I'm sure the warden is in there and he's saying, man, this is great. I don't have to do anything. Here you go, Joseph, take care of that for me. And Joseph takes care of it, makes him look really good. So the lesson that I get from that is, is if you're on your job or whatever you're doing, you make your, your, your superior look good, some bad things might happen going forward. But ultimately, if you know the story, there are some things that are going to go on that are going to be to your good. But it's always incumbent upon us as those that know and love Jesus to be excellent on our job and to work as unto God. So Joseph is there doing great. And then next thing we know, there's the, king, the, the Pharaoh's baker and Pharaoh's butler are sentenced to prison. So now the butler for the Pharaoh, I don't know what he did. He got sent to prison. Same thing for the, 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 the baker for the Pharaoh. He got sent to prison. So they're in there. And then on the same day, both of these guys have a dream. The butler has a dream. He comes and tells Pharaoh, uh, comes and tells Joseph. And then the baker has a dream, and he comes and tells Joseph. Joseph interprets the butler's dream. So he tells him, yeah, in three days, you're going to be back over there with those grapes, with that wine, serving that to, the, um, to, to Pharaoh. Things don't go okay for you. But hey, when you get out of here, man, those three days, just remember me, you know, I'm doing this, letting you know you got some good coming your way, just let me know. So the baker's feeling real good about it. He's like, man, he's got good news. <laughs> hey, Joseph, what's my deal? So he goes to Joseph, and Joseph says, hey, man, in three days, Pharaoh's going to take your head off and going to hang you up on a tree, and the birds are going to be pecking your flesh. And it all comes to pass. So time goes on another couple years. The butler gets out, serving wine to Pharaoh, doesn't say anything to Pharaoh about Joseph. Never goes and says, hey, man, uh, Pharaoh, there's this guy that I think you should know about. Never says anything about him, right? And I'm sure the warden wasn't saying anything because he was like, man, I don't want to lose this guy. <laughs> taking care of all my business, right? So two years go by, and then... Pharaoh has this dream. If we remember, the dream was of seven cows. There were seven fat cows that came out, and they were beautiful and healthy. And then there were seven cows that came out, and they were skinny and gaunt. You know, they were all drawn up. And then the seven skinny cows ate the seven fat cows, and they were still skinny. They ate them, and they still looked the same, all scrawny and gaunt and just nasty looking. So then Pharaoh has another dream, and he dreams about this corn. And so there's stalks, seven stalks of corn, and that corn is full. It's lush. It's beautiful. It's, you know, the, the prototypical corn that you would want. And then on this side, we have seven stalks of corn that are, 
And this was his dream that were, that were just beaten up by the east wind, it says, the Bible says. And then those seven stalks of gaunt, skinny, rough-looking corn like we probably saw this year after the drought went over and ate the full seven stalks of corn. And it still looked the same way. So Pharaoh, who presents himself as God, if he was God, he would have known that if he was truly God, but he's not, calls on all the wise men of Egypt to come and decipher what is going on. And nobody could decipher what was going on. So finally, Mr. Butler guy, for two years, who forgot about Joseph, says, hmm, there's a guy who's sitting up in prison, Pharaoh, that I think you should know about. He, helped, he interpreted my dream. So Pharaoh sends for him. Go get Joseph. So Joseph comes down, he shaves, you know, gets himself nice because you can't go in front of Pharaoh just any kind of way. Can't go in there smelling and coming straight out of prison. You got to get yourself together. So he gets himself together. He presents himself to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh tells him the dream. Hey, man, I got all these people that came here. Nobody could interpret the dream. What you say, Joseph? So Joseph comes and he tells him, you know, it's not me. It's God. God is the one. I don't think Pharaoh really listened so much. But then Joseph deciphers the dream. Joseph tells him that the cows, the seven healthy cows, the seven gaunt cows, the seven gaunt cows that ate the healthy ones, those are seven years of famine. So you're going to have seven, the, 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 the healthy cows represent the seven years of good uh, agriculture, or good years that we're going to have food. And then those gaunt cows represent the seven years of famine that we're going to have. So for seven years, we're going to have good. Then for another seven years, it's going to be bad, Pharaoh. Well, what? And so Joseph tells him that the duplicity of this means that God is going to get this done. It's, there's no waffling on this. This is what it is. So the corn, full corn, again, seven full years. The gaunt corn, seven really bad years, the likes of which Egypt has never seen. So Joseph then tells Pharaoh what he needs to do. Pharaoh, this is going to happen. That's why God has given this to you twice. He's given you two examples. So what you need to do, Pharaoh, is you need to find a man and put him over all the agriculture. And you need to find other people that you can put over all of the territories of Egypt that when we're growing for these seven years where everything is full, we can store food in all of these places so that the seven years of famine do that during the seven years of plenty, so that during the seven years of famine, we have food. But that's the only way you're going to be able to do it. So we see Joseph here making this, this call on what should happen. So Pharaoh stops, and he starts talking to all his people. And he says, he says, well, who? He's pleased, first of all. Pharaoh is pleased that his dream is interpreted. Now, he had to have a lot of confidence in Joseph, even though he didn't believe in the same God, because he did say that 
apparently this man has the spirit of God. Now, he wasn't talking about the Holy Spirit, but he knew it had to be something that was much deeper than just the physical, than just the human. So Joseph explains all of this to him, how we should get through it, and then Pharaoh comes back. He doubles down and says, hmm, you are that man, Joseph. So if I'm Joseph, or if we're Joseph, that's the dancing part. Yeah! Woo! I'm that guy. So Pharaoh then gives Joseph a signet ring and puts a gold chain around his neck and all of these things, like we learned in Sunday school, that Joseph received because of all this hardship that he went through. You know, his brothers didn't like him. He's sold as a, he's put down in a pit. He's deceived. They take and put goat blood on his colorful coat that his dad gave it, gives it back to him. His dad's all sad. So Joseph had a lot going on. Then he's sent over to Pharaoh's house. He proves himself. I'm in this land. I'm going to be okay. Then, hey, Joseph. She comes over and pulls the man's clothes off. He's running, trying, running for his life. Now he's back in prison. Joseph overcame. He's second in charge of Egypt now for inter interpreting dreams and letting Pharaoh know how they can make it through the next 14 years, the seven years of good, of plenty, the seven years of bad, nothing, famine. So he's elevated now. And if you remember, there are some things that happened to Joseph during this time, or, or once he deciphered Pharaoh's dream, uh, dreams. And Pharaoh, again, was like God. He, they equated themselves with God. So we're not talking about somebody that was, you know, with no power. He thought he was God over all his territory, over all of the world. But there were some things that happened to Joseph that I want us all to give some thought to. We see, I guess this would be a good time for us to go to Genesis chapter 41. Let's go there. Genesis chapter 41, verse 37 through 46. Genesis chapter 1. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 41, verse 37 through 46. And I'll go ahead and read. If you got it, say amen. Uh, and I'll just read from up here. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? We just talked about next. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. And thou shalt be over my house, big old mansion, and according to thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in a vestures of fine linen, Gucci, and all of that stuff, uh, Calvin Klein, and put a gold chain about his neck from Tiffany's. 
And he made him to ride in the second chariot, or the second Rolls Royce, behind his Rolls Royce, or Bentley. And they cried before him, bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, Zaphonath Paneah, and he gave him to, he gave him to wife Asenath, the daughter, Potiphera, priest of On. Now, those people wouldn't say, uh, neither Asenath, unless they heard about God through the grapevine and and knew of him, or Potiphar, a priest of bond. They, they probably weren't if they were that deep and doing the wills of Pharaoh in Egypt. Okay? And Joseph had a new name. Not the name that his father gave him, but a new name that he was given in Egypt for all of the works and wisdom that he had. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt, and Joseph was 30 years old, so he was young. Man, when I was 30, I was still balling. I was lifting weights. You know, I was big and strong and all of that stuff. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Yes, Joseph was balling. He was that guy. He came from the pit, the prison, to second in charge of all of Egypt, right? So as we continue on, I'll continue just kind of going through here in between 46 and, and 51, and then I'll talk a little bit about 50, uh, chapter 51, uh, Genesis 41, 51 and 52. So he's given these names. He works for the man, for Pharaoh, who is God. He's rich and powerful, and he's got all these things going on. He's given a wife. So we would think, I would think, in that situation, man, I'm, I'm that guy. I'm balling out. I got it going on. But what we see here in Joseph's coronation, we'll see as we get to verse 51 and verse 52. Joseph, then, as he's going through and doing what he does and as he's gathering corn, for the famine, he has two children. And that's what brings us to Genesis 42, 51, and 52. Thank you. They're so good back there because I didn't even give them that. It says, And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God said, He hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And then his second, and the name of the second called he Ephraim. For God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Let's go back to 51. So he has Manasseh, and look at that name. Manasseh, for God said, he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. So that seems as though he's saying, he's made me forget about Jacob and all his toil that he had there. But that's not really, I think, where, where that's going. For God said he had made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. So he did have some things going on there. But what he's saying, 
is what my uncle used to say. And he used to have this saying, doing something, he'd talk about something, and then he would say, so if, if, I'm, if, he's, if I'm out building something, man, I was getting this together, and I just finished, drill, drill, I just finished drilling this piece of wood, put it to the side, his saying was, through with that. That's what he would say. Like, I'm finished, through with that. Manasseh, for God said he had made me forget all my tall and all my father's house. So the name Manasseh really means, if you want to look at it, that he's through with all of that. He has forgotten all of those toils and everything. It's not that he's forgot his father, but he's forgotten all those toils. It's forgiven. It's put away from him is what he's saying. He's through with that. He's not, he's not concerning himself with that anymore. He's through with that. And Ephraim, for God has caused me, uh, the next, next verse, in the name of, and the name of the second called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of his affliction. So affliction is not a good thing. That means you're toiling, but God has caused him. So some things are being said here about the fact that he didn't name his children Egyptian names. He gave his children Hebrew names, Manasseh and Ephraim. He didn't call them Egyptians. His wife's name was, was As, uh, Asenath. They didn't have those type of names. He was in charge of his household. Even in the land of his affliction, God had made him fruitful. But see, chapter 41, that, that part there, for most, that would have been the, the big shot, the big hit, but not for Joseph. That wasn't, that wasn't the rescue. This, this part here, the fact that he's bawling and he's riding in his Rolls Royce chariot behind the, the guy, that was not his, that was not the, 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 the big hit for him. That's not what he was about. See, Joseph already understood something. Joseph understood that he was already rich. He was called of God. He wasn't worried about the money. That's not what he was shooting for. And if we go back and see, when he made the suggestions to Pharaoh, his suggestion wasn't for himself to be promoted. His suggestion was so that whatever he did was excellent. His suggestions came from God because he had trained himself to do things for the admonition of God, not for himself but that he could glorify God in everything he did, even though he was in a land that was not, a, that, that was not God's land. So his life in that, in that land that didn't believe in God reflected something. Even Pharaoh, who considered himself God, said, man, this guy must have the spirit of God on him. So how much more the people around him saw him? So how much more for us that as we do things and are around people that people should be saying, Man, this dude, this lady, there's something about them that is just good. And even if they don't say it, people have a tendency of just gravitating to you. I remember when I was in school, there was a guy, he ain't believe in God at all. But he just kind of gravitated. Everywhere I'd go, he'd be right there. 
And I'm not sitting here saying that I was just so like Joseph. I wasn't. But I believe that the spirit and, and the things that I believed and the way I tried to do things, he gravitated to that. And to this day, he still calls me every once in a while. We talk. But it's something about the spirit of God that draws people. There's something about um, trying to gain wisdom from God, getting God's wisdom, that draws people to you. And so in the same way as Joseph did these things, he was not, again, doing it for his own self-promotion. He was doing this for the glory of God and because it was right. And many times we have to watch our own motives so that our motives should be like Joseph and not so much, well, you know, you're sitting in the, in the office, you know, you're doing whatever. You, I can't sit down right now, but you're sitting down, you're on your computer, and you're playing, and then the boss come in. Yeah, you know, you're really hard at it, man. You got to impress the boss. You got to get it done. No. Now, I'm not saying that the whole time you're at work, you got to be. But don't do that. Man, look, don't, don't do that. Keep your motives pure. I remember when I was working, I'd be sitting at my little desk, and if the boss walked in and I was looking at something on, 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 on the screen or whatever that wasn't work, I left it there. I wasn't trying to fool boss. Boss, I'm not trying to fool you, man. This is what I'm doing right now. But I promise you, I'm going to get my work done. All right, man, get your work. Yes, sir, I'm going to get it done. I just needed to take a break. Don't do all of that. It's upsetting to boss. Boss ain't stupid, especially if you've been boss a couple times. He know. He worked. Don't, don't try to fool the guy. You would be much better off just saying, boss, look, man, I just needed a break. I'm going to get back to it. And especially if you're handling your business, you kind of have a little cachet to say, okay, I'm going to get this done. And they'll believe you. Now, if you're not, you need to just be at work getting your stuff done. You change, we need to change our ways in that, in that regard. But don't, don't try to fool them. Just think of Joseph. Be on your job, handle your business, and keep it moving forward. So we talked about this not being, for Joseph, the rescue. This not being his moment in life where he made it. He bust through the glass ceiling, and second, in, second in charge. No, because again, he knew that God had something special for him because of where he came from, what he believed, who his father was, all of those things. Even though all those other things had gone on, he maintained his faith in God. He recognized that, God, you have something more for me. Now, again, all of these things happen. The famine, the seven years go through of the good years. He stores up all the seed in the cities. And then after that, we go into those seven bad years, just as he, as he said. And so all throughout the land of Egypt, as time goes on, more and more, Famine gets worse and worse and worse, and people are selling themselves, and the people just want food. They're selling themselves into slavery. They're, they can't grow it because, you know, I'm assuming that their agricultural exploits were kind of like ours here. We were still able to grow some stuff. It was probably, I'm sure it was much worse uh, than what we had here. They couldn't grow anything. So what are we going to do? So Jacob hears, hey, man, I hear that there's food in Egypt. We need to try to get some. So Jacob sends his sons, all of them except for Benjamin. Benjamin was the younger. And he was like, I'm not losing Benjamin. I lost Joseph already. I'm not losing Benjamin. I'm not sending him. So they go, 
They take the journey to Egypt. And who are they sent in front of? Joseph recognizes his brothers, but he keeps himself disguised so that they wouldn't know who he was. So he come, they come up, and a series of things happen. You know, he tells them that, you know, y'all probably spies. You know, a number of different things go on when Joseph talks to him. He talks to him harshly. Hey, man, I, what y'all doing? You know, he knows where he is. He knows that the people that he, are around, that he is around and that he rules over are not Hebrews. So there's something about them that's different. And they're recognized, I'm sure, as Hebrews. And at that time, Hebrews, again, were not people that were put up on a pedestal. They were of lower class in the eyes of the world, but they knew who they were. They knew that they were God's chosen people. So they come there to get food. Joseph gives them some food. And as the story goes, as the, as the true story goes, you know, he sends them off. But he, before he sends them off, he tells them, hey, there's supposed to be more of y'all. So we need to see this Benjamin, basically, is what he's telling them. So he sends them off, he gives them provision, and then they go back to Jacob, and they tell him, Jacob, man, you're going to have to send Benjamin in order for us to get more of what we need. Jacob's not having it. Israel. Jacob, Israel, same person. He's, no, we're not sending Benjamin down to Egypt because something's going to befall him that's not going to be good. We're, we're not trying to do that. So, as the scripture says, you know, he, he tells them that they're spies, but he sends them off and gives them their provisions. And eventually, they get back to them where Joseph reveals who he is. He can't take it anymore. And Joseph now is at that point where he can't stand to keep himself, uh, his identity, uh, from his brothers. But before I talk about that, I want to mention this about Joseph and about myself. As I learned this story as a kid, I always looked at the rescue moment, the big moment as when he became second in charge of Egypt. Egypt is a, has a pagan culture. They believe in many other gods. They believe total, a lot of things that are totally against what we believe. So it would be no different than us sending our children off to work or to whatever it is, and we all have to work, and I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, wherever you work, it needs to be some Christian coming. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is, is that we have to look at life from this perspective. We are God's children. We're not of the world. We're different, regardless of what we think. If, and, and if we're truly walking this thing out, each and every day, from this day forward, it's really going to show more and more and more each day who we are. Many times, we hold back what it is that we need to give to the world because we are ashamed of our status if we say something. Oh, you that holy roller, you that Christian person, you that this or whatever. Well, we got to give that up. Joseph didn't have a problem. Joseph did what he was supposed to do in the land of his affliction where he was at. We will experience some of those things, but even now, 
You, we're just being embarrassed. There's some people, there's some things that are going on in this country, but not to the degree that we can't share our faith. We just have to put some things aside, our egos aside, our thought that we're going to lose our job if we say, there's a, ask God for wisdom as we're doing things. And there are ways of sharing our faith with people that will draw people. And, okay, so what if you look crazy? The Bible already says that if, if we're wrong, we're just fools walking around in the earth anyway. But if we're right, then, and we can get a soul or two or three or four or five or many saved from hell's fire, which many people are afraid to talk about now in our churches because they're afraid, pe you know, people don't want to hear that. Nobody don't want to hear about sin. Hey, you know, again, we're not seeking people to pacify them. It's not a social club here. We're talking about the one true Savior, Jesus Christ. We're talking about God here and what his purpose is, is to draw all people to him, to rescue people from the fire. This is what Joseph did with the wisdom that God gave him. It's not saying Joseph went out, yeah, I'm a Hebrew. I'm not saying he did that. When you fish, again, you don't go out stomping the water. Hey, fish, I'm over here. I'm about to catch you. There's some wisdom that we have to use. You don't fish like that. You don't go out screaming and hollering to catch fish. In fact, uh, we went fishing, and the guy was in the boat, and when he got close to the area, he slowed down, put the little trolling motor out, the little electric motor out. That's real quiet and just brings you to your spot. And then he quietly dropped the anchor in, and then we start fishing. And we had bait. So what's your bait? What's my bait? Because if we are just like the world, you ain't got, you're just fishing with a hook. Our fishing was so good that day. We caught some. God was good. We caught some with just a hook. But we had bait. We fish, and we throw it in quietly, and we jerk it. We make it appealing. Now, how you make it appealing, that's where we have to be careful. It can't be too, too appealing where we're doing stuff that gets us in hell. Again, remember, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But when you're fishing, you just, and then when they hook, you get them and you keep that tip up. You know, keep the tip up. You know, don't do this. You got to hold it up so that you keep that tension. And you draw them in. You slow them. You might let them run a little bit and you draw them in. I'm not a good fisher at all. They were showing me, so I learned quick. You just reel them in, reel them in until you can get them, put that net in, and bring that fish in. So I was taught to fish, so now I can fish a little bit. It, it was fun. Uh, not something that I do all the time, but we're, we're, we're fishing for souls of men and women to bring them to the cross, to help them to understand that it's not what you think it is. See, the name of God, the name of Jesus has been twisted and turned so much, half the people don't know what's going on. It's up to us to learn this stuff and to try to help give people uh, the opportunity to bite on the bait so that they can learn and know what's going on just as Joseph did. So Joseph, during his time, again, we're saying, this was the time here when he was able to bring, give provisions that God had given him through what God had, had, had uh, provided to him, the wisdom, the ability to interpret dreams. God gave him those things for a purpose. God allowed him to go through those things, and Joseph was willing to go through those things. However he did, he was willing, and he went through it, and he stayed excellent at what it is. And whatever it is that you're doing, your business, your job, uh, raising your children, uh, dealing with other people, 
You have to stay diligent because they're going to, we're dealing with fallen people. We have to kind of be like people that either don't hear or like, you know, so that when certain things go off, it doesn't take us off course. We have to stay the course in order to receive what it is that God wants us to have, just like Joseph. So Joseph's time was here during the famine. This was when he got the rescue, and not only for himself, but for his family, for his brothers, because if you remember, they came back, and they even brought Jacob, brought Israel back, and he got a chance to commune with them. He also told his brothers that when they came, when they knew it was him, can you imagine? Can you imagine? Those guys were like, what? I'm sure the dream and stuff didn't even come in their head immediately. I'm sure what immediately went through their mind was, man, this dude going to kill us. We are dead because of what we did to him. And he's now in charge, second in charge of all of Egypt, second in charge of all the food. Why would he, why would he even keep us? Why would he not kill us or just throw us in prison and not allow us to go back to see our father? But that's not what, Jake, that's not what Joseph did. This was Joseph's moment when he was able to be rescuer that, the, that God allowed him to be, when Joseph was able to go to his brothers and say, it's okay, man. It's good. I forgive you. And God tells us to pray for our enemies. And even though his brothers were his enemies, God used this whole situation because he knew what he had given to Jacob ahead of that. The dreams, the, 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 the revelation of those things, all of those things came to fruition. Not because he was just trying to lord it over them, but because God saw that Joseph was excellent in his ways. Just like in the same way, I know I've, I've, over the years, there are people that, and I, I'm assuming that we probably all have at least one, since we're human beings, if we've been around any time. Somebody that we just like, in our flesh, if it was in our flesh, man, I'd go punch him in his head, or I'd want to take him out right now. Really? I mean, in our flesh. Now, you, you all look like we're walking according to the Spirit of God. But, man, it's not easy. It's not easy to pray for your enemy, to wish them well, or people that are even your competitors, to wish them well. But God commands us to do these things because God knows, you know, the hard things that God tells us to do. Those are the things that we have to do because even though it doesn't feel good to us, just like Jesus dying on the cross, that didn't feel good to him. But in the same way for us, when we're praying for somebody or we walk by somebody that we don't like or maybe somebody that did you wrong, whatever that may be, you have to be like a dead man and just be like, man, I ain't worried about that no more. Through with that. Just like he named Manasseh his son. Through with that. And, and, and when he named his son, I'm sure that he had already had given forgiveness to his brothers at that time. Through with that, man. I'm not worried about that. Joseph did not see the wealth that he earned in the land of his affliction, in the land that was not of his God as being balling. We, too, have to recognize that as we train our children and as we walk in life, that the things that we do and the money that we earn is more important than God because it's not. The only thing that's important is our relationship with him and what we do for him. And the saying, only, only, the only things that we do for Christ will last, that's all that's going to last. All this money, our house, our clothes, and all of those things are going to be burned up 
I was telling somebody the other day, my wife, even though she's dressed nice, she don't keep too many clothes. She got less clothes than I have. I have to, I buy, well, when I would buy her stuff, I'd be like, uh, where is that? Where is that dress? And she'd just be looking around. But you gave it away to somebody. Because she recognizes this stuff is passing. It's just clothes. God's going to take it. He clothes, he, he, he clothes birds. You know, he, he takes care of all these things. He knows the, I don't have much hair up here, but he knows the number of them little pieces that's up there. He knows God's going to take care of us. Do not labor for, for, for vain stuff. We labor for the things that God tells us. The things that we should be seeking are things that really are not seen, honestly. Peace, joy, the ability to deal with uh, our enemies. And I, I have some people, I, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I'd call them enemies, but just something in me don't want me to go deal with them. You know, and I know I should, but I'm just kind of like, ah, I want to deal with that. So I know that's the next hurdle. You know, God got me praying for my enemies and doing those things. Uh, but there's still some little things that I just don't want to do that I know I need to do. So, Lord, give me a little time and a little peace and a little strength to do those things, just as Joseph persevered. And the same for all of us. As we do those things, we'll recognize that God always has something in store for us if we stay the course, if we do like Jacob did, uh, do like Joseph did, and just stay the course, even in the tough times you're going to get that, that, that rescue. God is our rescuer. But God allowed Joseph to rescue his family, to rescue people that were around him, to keep even people that did not know God, all the people in Egypt that had no clue of God. They had to know something different about that dude right there. Yeah, the one that was being paraded around in the, in the, in the uh, Rolls Royce horse-drawn chariot, something different about him. And so all of those things that he did, the fact of what he came up with, these were all provisions that God made for people that didn't even know him, didn't even care about him, but God made those provisions. We should be doing in the same way a similar thing like what Joseph has done. So with those things said, we recognize that God is our rescuer. He, he loves us. Whatever you have going on in your life, recognize that he's not, he's not out to get us. He's out to keep us in those emergency times. You know, when, when you need a rescuer, he's the one that we need to call on. Just as Joseph took care of his business, we continue to take care of our business. We know that God, our rescuer, will take care of his. Amen? Amen. Amen. So with that, we're going to go ahead and close out. Thank you, everyone that was online, that was watching. Uh, everybody that is here, thank you for being here. And uh, we thank God for his goodness, uh, for his grace, and for all that he continues to do. We will be back here on next Sunday, and uh, we look forward to seeing each of you all. Uh, let us pray. Father God, we thank you now for your goodness, for your grace and mercy. We praise you, Lord, for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, dear God, for all of the examples that you have given us in your word of people and how you took care of them, and also the character that we should have, Heavenly Father, in tough times. Father, we praise you because you are good. Lord, we pray for traveling mercies back to our destinations, dear God, to, back to our uh, abodes, Lord. And we just thank you, God, because you are good and are merciful, Lord. For those that are uh, sick, those that are not able to make it here, Father, we pray that you would heal and touch them even as well. 
We thank you even now. In Jesus' name we pray.